to Harpen on Rugby, the fan site covering all things to do with Leinster in Ireland since 2008. My name is Jeff Pagano, and joining me today, making your fifth appearance, is the operator of the great Twitter account at Irish Women's. A warm welcome to you. Hi, thank you. No problem at all. Great having you back on. Well, listen, we had John for our first chat almost exactly a year ago today. It was the end of August 2021. And uh, again, we were looking ahead to the new season. And uh, I think it's safe to say there have been some ups and downs since then. Um, but why don't we start with what's fresh in our minds, that being the Tour of Japan for the senior women's. Mixed results on the pitch, but plenty of positives for the squad altogether. What did you make of it? Um, I made, to be honest, coming away from that tour, I'm very, very pleased. Going into it, I was a little bit nervous. Um, by the way, I can't believe it's been a year. Um, thanks for having me on again. No yeah, I think the the going into the competition, seeing the squad, seeing, I think the lack of experience that was there. You know, another round of new caps. So we've you know we've spent the last kind of two three years capping a lot of players. Um, so I think it had me worried seeing the lack of experience. Um, and then when I saw the first match day squad. I think I got a little bit more nervous. Um, I think I think there's a total of 138 caps across mm. the entire team, and four out um, of seven new caps in just the back line, wasn't it? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I and mean, it was it was crazy. I, you know, I just kind of thought, oh, what are we getting ourselves in for? They they pack very much picked themselves, and mm. um, you know, there's a decent bit of experience there, and the vast majority of the caps were there. Um, I think it was a 27 or 28 caps across the backs altogether. That frightened me, I have to say. Um, so going in, I think I, I was managing my expectations a little, um, only to be told I was very, very, very wrong <laughs> at the end of the 80 minutes. Um, the, the first game, I think, I think we might have caught Japan on the hop mm-hmm. quite a bit, um, which is surprising seeing as though you know they'd already played together against South Africa, um, but we just came out of the traps and we were incredible 15 minutes in and onwards. Mm. Um, asleep initially, um, didn't see any of it, unfortunately, because the, the cast stopped for 15 minutes, but uh, I, I think the team was holding off until everybody in Ireland could see what they were doing. That's it, that and was, then that was nice there. of them. Yeah, yeah, fair play to them. Like, really, really considerate yeah. of them, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think the first game, the first game was great to see. I mean, there just seems to be a gel and a cohesion there. Um, there seemed to be a maturity across the back line and a patience. And, uh, you know, I, before the game, I talked about how patience would be needed, how we would need to try and keep a cool head, not panic. And I think we've done that a lot in the past, or, or Irish sides have typically panicked at rook time panic with the ball in hand and we either don't resource rooks well enough we get there a little bit late and frantic and a lot of handling errors and we didn't see that in the first game we saw cool heads we saw a lot of depth in the back line they weren't afraid to play from deep and to look for that space out wide um, the pack was very good the pack I thought probably gave a lot of reassurance to a lot of the younger players in the side um, and it showed. I think there's a few highlights for me in that first game. Um, I'd heard a bit coming into the game about Dana O'Brien, the young 18-year-old just finished her leaving cert. I don't think I could stand up and walk right after my leaving cert. <laughs> I'm going to play an international rugby match. Um, but this young girl, my God, she was incredible. Um, she's, it's funny. I, I think 
I've got a few impressions of her from having a few chats to different people. I haven't seen uh, her play before now, but my kind of expectation, I suppose, was that she could be young, deer caught in the headlights, um, need a lot of support, be a little bit shy. Um, she played like somebody who had at least 20, 30 caps. Mm-hmm. She, was a, she was a cool head. She just played the basics, distributed the ball. And then as we got into the game, we started getting a little bit more creative, a crossfield kick here and there. And yeah, it, I think it was amazing to see the maturity. And one thing that Neve Briggs actually touched on in one of the bits that, uh, the bits of uh, content that Irish rugby put out was talking about the training age of players. And I found that one really, really interesting. That traditionally the training age of female players has always been far less of that of their male counterparts. Boys have always started playing rugby kind of five, six years of age. A lot of women, myself included, came to rugby either kind of teens or even into their 20s and 30s. I know some people started in their 40s and 50s. Um, so, you know, talking about a training age, you know, somebody starts at six versus somebody starts at 16. That's a 10-year additional training age, meaning that they have a greater understanding of the sport um, are far more coachable when they've got a greater training age. You have less of the basics to teach. You've got more of the, I suppose, the complexities and strategy strategies you can build on then at that point. Um, and she was talking about how the training age of the current young players is far greater than they've ever seen. And that, for me, was, I suppose, quite reassuring that you could just, you could start to build on something rather than starting to create a foundation quite late. Um, and I think to some, in some respects that showed, I think through Dana, it very much showed um, the likes of Dealey and Dalton were fabulous as well. Doyle on the wing, all of these um, were really, really fabulous. Um, and Enya Breen, I think, having probably between herself and Elsa Hughes in the back line, two of them had the most experience. And I think they steadied the ship really, really well. For me, Enya Breen was just phenomenal in that match. She kind of became the the pivot point or the fulcrum of, of the attack in that ball was distributed out to her and a move came off her with multiple options. She could come back inside. Um, she could go outside, go deep, go wide. She had you know three or four options off each attack. She was the decision maker and she was the one who had to deliver it and she did it. Absolutely sublimely. One of the tries, the most flat of flat passes you've ever seen out to Doyle, and on she goes, you know, gave, gave her an absolute gaping hole to run through. Um, and another one where she carries and carries hard offloads to Dealey, and Dealey offloads out to, to the wing again. You know, it's some, some incredible decision making. Um, really, really great to see. And I think the pack in the first game really, really performed as well. Um, I thought we saw. Some really good performance, particularly across the back row. One of my favourites, Hannah O'Connor, cool as a cucumber. One of those people who just grinds the game out, does all of the the unwanted work, the work that doesn't get you a pat on the back and a celebration every five minutes. Not big moments, but hard graft. Um, Takes a few place kicks as well, into the bargain. Uh, sure, why, why, not? why not? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, sure. <laughs> If I try to hit from 40 metres, I think I might make it halfway there and I'd be proud. Um, yeah, she she's just one of those players, I think, who would always put her hand up. Um, 
and it shows, and I mean, it's, it showed in the AIL for BlackRock. She's just one of those people who just head down rat. And I think they're always my favorite kind of player. Um, McMahon is quite similar in that respect. Um, we had Dorothy Wall back, who was brilliant. Um, I think I think the pack as a whole performed really, really well. Mm. Um, I think our set piece was vastly improved in that first game. Our Absolutely. set piece over yeah. the last year and a half has been kind of shambolic. Mm-hmm. You know, scrums, we've been trying to get the ball out as quick at the back of a, our own scrum and holding on for dear life on an opposition scrum and just hoping we stay upright. Lineouts have been an absolute killer for us. You know, we could win penalties all over the park, kick up the field for a, a lineout, and then just lose it again and then lose 40 metres. And it's just been, it's been something that we really needed to work on. The set piece in general, you know, it acts as a great platform for attack. Mm-hmm. we needed to improve it to give us an opportunity to attack and in that first game we really really did do that um, I thought the line out was fabulous I think Japan stood off us a lot in the line out um, they knew a mall was coming so they just stood waited for it to happen um, at one point they tried to not engage and we were wise that Nick Friday knew instantly what they were doing or weren't doing um, and held the ball quite well it showed a good bit of maturity um, but the mall was an incredible uh, piece of attack. Body positions were nice and low. It was nicely organized. There's clear communication that when it was going to stop, that we would change our point of attack, um, break off. It was, it worked really, really well. So yeah, I think, um, I think the first game really, really surprised me. Mm. Second game, I think then was more of what I kind of had expected. That mm. it was kind of, I think. We kind of crawled into our shell a little bit in the game. I thought it was quite odd that we just didn't seem to want to trust our backs in that second game. Um, Dana O'Brien was primarily used as a distributor to the pods. So it would go from Rook, Dana, another bunch of forwards. And we kept trying to do that. And then we'd panic at Rook time. We wouldn't resource the Rook very well. I think um, Greg McWilliams made a comment saying we got on the bad side of the ref quite early. And I think he's spot on with that. Mm. I think we did. I think we showed a bad picture to him in terms of our, our ability to stay uh, to her, to her, our ability to stay on the side. And she was just watching out for it for the rest of the game. And we could have been a toe offside and she was calling it. Um, so, yeah, I, I think the second game just wasn't anything like the first we played, played a conservative game. We played a sloppy game. There's lots of handling errors, lots of penalties. We just didn't get a grip on the game. We couldn't get beyond three or four rucks. You know, those phases, you know, you, can, you can't build an attack off three or four phases, particularly from your own half. Um, but in saying that, you know, any first phase attack as well was a little bit sloppy. We, again, weren't going wide. We weren't using any brain as that pivot point. We weren't distributing to the backs. Um, I think I saw somebody make a comment online and thinking back, I think I'd like to see the game again. But somebody said, I'm not sure if Dalton got the ball past her at all in the first half. And that wouldn't surprise me, or she did. It was probably a handful of times. And I don't know what the, the, the choice was in terms of strategy, what changed, what the difference was. I've seen fatigue being uh, one of the things that have been put out there. I don't know, but I think um, the first game we showed a glimpse of, of what we can do mm. and where we're going. 
Um, and I think the second game showed us, okay, this is where we are now. It kind yeah. of, it was a good, I think it was a good barometer for the reality of where our game is. Um, yeah. I don't for a second think that we can't get back to where that first game was. Um, yeah. But I think, I think a lot of it was Japan and yeah. the quality of the opposition. Japan were a completely different side from the first game to the second. Yeah. Um, their attack in that second game is beautiful. They were doing everything we did in the first game. They were looking to go deep in attack. They were looking to use their backs. They were looking to be a little bit creative. Whereas we were just conservative, conservative, conservative in that second game and it didn't pay off. I think um, I think overall with, with this tour, I think it's important to appreciate, um, you know, for people who wouldn't watch women's rugby all the time, just how different it is for that squad of players just being on the tour itself, um, mm-hmm. because this is something that that's never really happened before for the women, apart from, you know, trips to maybe World Cups and stuff. Um, I mean, you look at the men's team that went to New Zealand. I mean, everyone in that squad has been on tours, whether at under 20s, even if they hadn't been at senior levels, tours is a big part of the game. But this whole idea of a, of a squad of players going on tour, being together day in, day out, and, um, you know, preparing for matches at the weekend, but also, you know, growing as a team and growing to get to know each other and stuff for those two weeks, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a whole new experience. And uh, like at the moment, I'm reading that uh, Alison Donnelly book, um, Scrum Queens, and uh, I, I was a bit... I had a bit of hubris going into reading it because I think, well, you know, I know a little bit about the game. I know a lot about this. I learned, I, I found out just how much I did not know about the women's game. And one of the one of the things that struck me most that even at in World Cups, you had teams arriving that barely had enough money to stay one night in a hotel uh, for World Cups and things like that. I think the Russian team came over once with a lot of caviar to sell um, so they could so, so they could sell just to have money to get them through the tour, uh, caviar and vodka uh, to sell during the tour, things like that. Uh, so this is a new experience for them. Um, normally when it, when a team I'm supporting has a bad game or a bad result, I, I don't like all this. Well, they tried and blah, blah, blah. I, I like to be critical of my team without going too far. And I think, you know, you, you've done a really good job of analyzing what it run in the second game, but I think maybe in this tour, um, with all that's gone on the past year, like we've talked about, and uh, all and and there's been negatives and positives. It, it seems to be going in the right direction. Plus, there's a new coaching set up there. They, they the set pieces in the first game that were so good that worked so well, lineouts and scrums. That's the sign of good coaching, right there. That's 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 a sign of them having an influence right there. And uh, plus, we've talked about before just having someone like Nia Briggs in the, on the coaching staff, someone who's been there, who's worn the jersey and had the success and led the team perfect person to have in in position there it just it 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 all seems right there's a lot of like you say there's a lot of new caps a lot of new names but they'll definitely learn from that tour yeah and i think the the main takeaway that i have from the tour i i posted about it i think the the day after the match was that everything seemed so professional and so slick um it's nothing like we've seen before it was a tour of professionals who just don't happen to be professional yet. Everything was taken so seriously. It was an absolute credit to the IRFU to see what was going on. Um, McWilliams has, like you said, a great team together. Neve Briggs, I think, is absolutely pivotal in, in that. Um, she's somebody that, that the players could really relate to, would look up to. I'm sure they, some of them idolised her as, as youngsters. Um, bringing in the likes of John McKee and Dennis Fogarty, Brilliant idea. Um, you know, the set piece was was so vastly improved. Um, 
And I think, you know, a lot of that set piece followed through to the second game. We just couldn't build off it. And that was the problem there. Um, but yeah, I think I think the tour as a whole, tours are great. Tours bond teams from a psychological perspective. Tours really get a, a bunch of disparate players together um, and build friendship, build communication channels, build trust, um, both within the players and within the, the wider setup of the backroom team. I think they're very, very important. But I think what we've done by going out to Japan, and I don't for a second think it was cheap at all, is we've we've shown what we can do. We've shown what commitment to the women's game and investment in the women's game can produce. That was a very, very short space of time between the Six Nations where we started really, really poorly. We built into it a little bit and kind of, you know, we did okay for ourselves. But where could we go with that? Mm. What could we build from? And I think professionalism is coming into the game. And I think the tour showed us that they're, that they're there or thereabouts. Um, I think a highlight for this tour for me was some of the content coming um, through the Irish rugby socials. I thought it was incredible. I'd wake up in the morning and see if anything had been posted from Japan overnight. It was like a real thrill to, to see the players, um, to kind of, you know, feel like a bit of a fly on the wall watch as they got you know the antics they got up to watch the hard work they put in the, the stuff they were doing in the gym absolutely incredible gun shows all around you know they were the, the strength and conditioning stuff they were doing the work on the pitch they were doing there was one piece of content that was talking about how they were looking to acclimatize to the heat in advance of even traveling to, to japan go back two three years that was never happening there was none of that. There wasn't that investment. There wasn't that knowledge base. You know, this is a step above where we've ever been in terms of the the investment and the commitment to the women's game. Um, we can still go further. We can mm. still build more on that. It doesn't have to be just, you know, a few camps on one tour. It's something that we can really, really build on. Um, I think the contracts to a certain extent will help us to do that. We'll give a lot of players more time to commit to it. Um, but I think it's a sign of really, really good things to come. Um, it's certainly not something I expect us to see. I didn't expect to see that insane level of commitment from everybody from the very, very top uh, of Gregor Williams, all of his background staff down to every single player, really pushing, really competing and really just looking like a slick professional body and I I think I just I've just come away just smiling and thinking you know the future is bright I think people have accused me of being a pessimist in the past and yeah <laughs> I very much can be um, and I think experience has showed me that you know there's a lot of problems there's a lot of systematic issues not just in Irish rugby you know across unions when it comes to to women's rugby across sport when it comes to women's sport but I think I've seen just a glimpse of what it can be and where it can go. And that tour, as a fan primarily, has just made me so happy. Absolutely. And um, and when you when we're looking ahead, um, you know, 
there's the world the World Cup obviously we're not going to be there and we'll see that we'll, we'll see that take place and that'll be a reminder of where they can be but looking past that I mean th- because this World Cup is late because of COVID it's just a three-year cycle to the next one uh, mm-hmm. so it's not that far away and plus they've got a new competition coming in as well uh, this WXV it's a kind of a world league kind of a situation and to qualify for that you finish in the top three in the Six Nations I think uh, so that's something to aim for, like, you know, the Six Nations coming up. So there's 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 definitely immediate goals for this new coach and staff, this new group of players. And plus, hopefully, be, you know, there will be contracts given out to the best players, the ones who are able to take them as well. Um, but hopefully, you know, there'll be a system where new players can come into the game. They can find new players at club level. Um, there'll be a pathway, you know, to the senior team, like everything else, and plus through interprovincials and all that stuff. But it's it, it, it does it does definitely look, um, look, look good going forward. So there's a you know, there's exciting times ahead for the team. I think very much so, yeah. I mean, I think it's very disappointing that we haven't made it to the World Cup. I think after this tour is particularly disappointing in that we're starting to build something and then the players have to sit on the couch at home in Ireland and watch what's going on in New Zealand. That's a bit demoralising for them. But like you said, the Six Nations is a real target now. It's not just a competition that, you know, we can't win because we have the likes of England and France to compete against. It's a, there's a new meaning to that. that we, you know, coming third is of incre- incredible importance. And we're, you know, all of the sides are going to have some form of professional contract or semi-professional contract going into this. There's a bit more commitment from everybody. And I think the bottom four are really going to be scrapping it out. There is so much more to fight for. And it will encourage everybody to narrow that gap on England and on France um, going forward. And I think I think it's great to, to have that to look forward to um, to have that importance. And, and I think, you know, the side will obviously see that as a very, very keen target. Mm. And um, on the on the, the game in, in general, the wi- the wider game, you you, you touched a bit on that, um, talking about the like just the general women's game in sport. And there was an announcement on the World Rugby site uh, just yesterday, I think it was, where they're they're announcing now. And sometimes I'm always I'm often skeptical about these announcements, but this one is said the, the headline says World Rugby and the International Working Group on Women's and Sport announce a strategic relationship through to 2026. It 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 it's looking like that they are working towards um more you know a more professional approach to the women's game and and, and raising the level and you know you, you want to see that um how do you do you get the feeling that do you get the sense that that's something that's happening overall um i don't know i haven't seen a huge amount about it i mean it's definitely something that's positive um i would i would hope that it's got a little bit of teeth in it in that um that there's a, you know, a real opportunity for a lot of knowledge sharing, a lot of, I suppose, political pressure to put on unions to engage, um, to up their standards, to find a common standard across unions. Um, you know, it's, it's something that a lot of people don't want to say, but I harp on about it quite a lot, is that women's rugby is treated as the poor relative. Um, a lot of people see it as, you know, Rugby is the men's game and we let the women play. Um, or ru- rugby is a men's game. Sure, we'll, we'll, we'll include women, but we'll only give them so much. And, mm. you know, that bears out across so many unions who have so many problems. Um, and it's painful to see, 
But it's great to see that there are initiatives that recognize this and that feel that they need to um, organize and, and I suppose strategize against that and strategize to, um, to I suppose, you know, just try and, and create a change from those unions and to change outlooks and perspectives and hopefully interest. Yeah, because I mean, of all of all the sports, rugby in particular, the way it's organized. I mean, the, the, the unions have so much autonomy to to do the to organize the games the way they the way they want it. So, like in any aspect of the game, um, just getting a uniform change on any particular policy, it's like getting cats to walk in a parade almost because they're they're all <laughs> doing it at different levels. And so, it's that's not going to help the approach. But I suppose it's good that the world rugby is 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 looking for an overview and 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 trying to try trying to at least. I don't know. Be seen to be um, to, to 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 be making an effort to 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 make it better that way. Um, just just before we finish, um, coming up in a couple of weeks, I was talking to Michelle um, Tobin. She's going over to South Africa for the um, the seventh World Cup. Now, uh, the women's seventh program has been doing great. Both both men's and women's have been doing great on the world circus. And um, this is another opportunity. They finished. Uh, they've had a fourth place finish, I think, in the women's circuit um, this season, World Series. I know that there was adjustments made for COVID and stuff, but I mean, the net, it's been a net positive um, for, for, for the team in general. I mean, this would be, this would be an exciting uh, tournament for them the uh, weekend after next. I think so. Yeah. Like, I think both men and men's and women's teams have been performing very, very well. And um, I think their professionalism has shone through um, and they're building and building as we go. There's some serious talent in that women's side. Um, you know, a lot of them have played, in the the women's 15s as well um i liked that they, that they didn't go on the tour of japan i liked that they got to focus on their sevens game but also that the 15s got to focus on their 15s um and i think i hope it has given them a real platform to build coming into this competition for the sevens um a little bit jealous of michelle going over um she's a great one for for traveling and supporting Absolutely. The, the irish team she's going no over a week woman. early so she's gonna have a great time my God, to come back town. I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I hope I hope they both have a really, really good competition. We've seen some great work um, over the last while, um, and I think they look to be building quite well into it. All right. Yeah, definitely. And I hope we, uh, you know, there's going to be a lot of engagement uh, online. Hopefully just they think it's important for Irish fans to drum up a lot of interest in the sevens and uh, show that there's a real taste for it here. Because, I mean, the, the the ultimate goal would be to get a leg of the world tour. I think would be I think it would be a real success to have it. It doesn't have to be in Dublin, obviously, anywhere around the country, Belfast, Galway, anywhere um, for to, to hold a leg of the world sevens would be, be great great for uh, both men's and women's rugby here well listen that's brilliant uh, thanks we're, we're going to leave it there for now uh, many thanks for the chat and hopefully we'll have you back on at various stages throughout the season to see how things are going at all levels of the women's game thank you very much pleasure as always thank you so that's it for this bonus pod be sure and subscribe to our feed and check out our recent shows coming up this weekend we'll be turning our attention to Leinster's preseason date with Harlequins at the Stoop in the meantime stay safe everyone Slan.